Well, welcome everybody. It's good to see you guys and good to see everybody watching online. Thanks for joining us as well and uh, gathering together this weekend. You're going to have to bear with my voice. My uh, allergies and I go to war with each other this time of year, and so they're winning. It's not going well for me at all, uh, but that makes my voice a little raspy. So <clears throat> if you can ignore it, uh, I'll try to keep talking, and we'll have a great time together. We're in a series right now called The Gospel, um, Why the Message of Jesus is More Than We Think That It Is. And uh, we've been talking about this here for the last couple weeks, and uh, I told you that uh, we decided on purpose that we're not doing politics here uh, in our services at Grace. Um, I have a podcast, it's called Mixed Messages with Jeff Bogue. Uh, I'll talk politics there with you, give you a biblical view of all those kind of things. Just re released one uh, last week uh, after Tuesday, after the election, and um, I'll, we'll release more and we'll do different. It's not just a political thing, but it's where we'll talk about those things because the political situation we're in, we're gonna stay here for a while. Like we're, we're a solid month before anything really starts to clear up. And uh, we wanna make sure that um, we, when we're together, give our heart and our mind and our attention to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the Kingdom of God. And uh, that's the conversation that's not happening out there anywhere. And so we're gonna trust the Lord with all of that and talk about who he is here. And then if you wanna talk details or when something else happens, uh, that podcast is a great place to get a biblical perspective on that. And would love, love to, uh, to meet you there with that. But we've been talking about the gospel. And uh, we've been talking about what the gospel is, what the gospel's about. If you're kinda jumping in midstream here a little bit, <clears throat> let me just bring you up to speed on even the term a little bit. The word the gospel, it's a Greek word, it just means to announce good news or good news. And so when we talk about the gospel, we usually use that phrase around Jesus, that Jesus is good news and who he is and what he's about is the announcement of that good news, that he came to bring us the, the hope and the help that, that we need. So what is the gospel in a nutshell? Uh, Romans 5, 8 is one place to get it, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the gospel is that God loves us. How do you know? He demonstrated that when? When we were still sinners, when we were at odds with God, or what the Bible calls enemies of God in our heart. So before I maybe knew there was a God, or cared that there was a God, or even wanted to have my sins dealt with, God loved me and he loved me so much that he gave his only son Jesus who died for my sins while I was still raising my hand against God. So the gospel is that God loves us and that God wants to be with us and wants to connect with us and that's a relational interaction, right? It's not a contractual interaction. So what does God want back from us? Well, somebody asked Jesus that one time and he said, what God wants, what I want, is for you to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So God loves us, and he wants us to love him. So the gospel is not <clears throat> just like a, a ticket to heaven. That's, that's an incomplete gospel. But it's an entrance into a relationship that a loving God wants to be connected with those that he loves and wants to journey through life with us, and Christ, through his sacrifice, provides salvation for us 
so that we are able to do that. So we've been talking about that for a few weeks. Uh, the podcast, uh, the YouTube channel, uh, the website, all that stuff is out there. And I encourage you, if you're kind of hitting us midstream, it's probably worth a listen, especially if you're thinking about uh, spiritual things or thinking specifically about Christianity, trying to get your head around it or what it might mean to you. Uh, that's probably worth a listen or probably fill in some of those blanks. And for some of us who grew up in church, if it, some of us did, a lot of us didn't here at Grace, but some of us did, uh, we may have an incomplete gospel or even a false gospel. And so this would help clarify that and help us to understand what God would want for us. <clears throat> Feel better now. So they would help in all those areas. It's gonna be like this here this weekend. So like I said, bear with me a little bit, okay? So listen to that, catch up with that. I think it'd be good for you. And it would fill in those blanks. It would help us to walk through that. Now last weekend, what I did was I introduced what we called the gospel prayer. And I got this idea from a guy named J.D. Greer, wrote a book called The Gospel, which I highly recommend. And in that book, he wrote out a gospel prayer I didn't copy his, I kind of, I'll say improved it, or you could say, you know, just worked off of it a little bit, but kind of wrote my own version of it. But the idea is this, that this is stuff that we're not just gonna be able to get in our head, right? So I can't just talk to you about the gospel and make it make sense and make it exciting because the gospel is to be something that's transformational. A spiritual thing has to happen where God takes this truth and weaves it into our heart and transforms us into some, someone else who we were created to be. And so this is this idea that we need to pray that in. We need to invite God to do that work. So this isn't a prayer to memorize. It's not like another religious ritual. It's just kind of a direction to go when you're thinking or you're pursuing these truths with God. So I laid out the first phrase of this last weekend. We started it here. God, this is the prayer, grant me the faith to trust that there's nothing I could do that would make you love me more and nothing I have done that will make you love me less. And we said the foundation of really interacting with God is trusting his love for us. That if I don't understand or I don't trust that God loves me fully, I'm not working for his love, I'm working from his love. I'm not working for his approval, I'm working from his approval. As a Christ follower, that's who I am. And even if I'm not a Christ follower yet, God's invitation is an invitation of love. It's not an invitation of condemnation. God doesn't need to condemn us. We've done that ourselves. He's trying to rescue us and help us. But if we could trust his love for us, it becomes a life-altering thing. So he said, this is where we need to start as we're interacting with Christ and kind of get our head around the gospel. God, help me to trust that you love me completely, you love me perfectly. There's nothing I can do to make you love me more. There's nothing I have done that would make you love me less. Now here's the second phrase, and I'll just take you through the rest of it, and then we'll camp on the second one. Jesus, grant me the faith to trust that there's nothing I can do to make you love me more, nothing I have done to make you love me less. Help me to allow your presence and approval to be all I need for the fulfillment of my soul. And empower me to give my life to others with the same passion and to the same depth that you gave your life to me. As I learn to love you more and more, I'll measure your compassion by the cross and your power 
by the resurrection. And we want to camp on this one here. Help me to allow your presence and approval to be all I need for the fulfillment of my soul. Now, why would we put that into the prayer? And why is that an important prayer? And how is that kind of pivotal to our relationship with God? When we first started talking about this whole idea of the gospel, we started with the concept of of this idea that I need approval as a human being. The Bible says this. The Bible says that every human being is created in the image of God. And that makes human beings unique. And if you ever wanted to understand the uniqueness of a human being or you ever wanted to understand how uh, we're created by divine design, not just a biological or evolutionary process, what you want to look for in part is this idea of the image of God. And one of the ways that the images of God, the image of God shows up in our life is that human beings need to answer the God question. It's in all of us. We need to know what our relationship is with God. And so we will either do that by responding to God or we'll do that by denying that there is a God. But we cannot just let that question sit kind of vacantly out there for us because the, the, we have a soul and that's the image of God in us. We're the only part of creation with a soul. That's why we worship, that's why we pray, That's why we have a God question, right? So squirrels don't have souls. Mice don't have souls. Cats have demons. That's pretty much what they are, right? But we are the only part of creation that has a soul. So we're the only part of creation that worships. We're the only part of creation that tries to satisfy the God question. We're the only part of creation that would blame God or cry out to God or worship to God for things that happen in our life. And that's because we're created in the image of God. Now what that means in part is this, because we have a soul, that means that we have a space within our soul, I call it the God void, that has to be filled by God. And if we will allow God to fill that void within our hearts, if we will allow him to satisfy us, if we allow him to fulfill us, if we allow him to meet us there, then we will walk in the relationship with God that we were created to be in. If we reject that, we will go to all kinds of other things in life to try to fill that space in our souls. So when you go back to the very beginning of creation to Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter three, when Adam and Eve were in perfect relationship with God, they were safe, they were secure, they were fulfilled, they were exactly where they needed to be and they interacted with God perfectly. When sin entered the picture, sin separates us from perfect relationship with God. And so when Adam and Eve sinned, that perfect space was broken and they started to pursue other things to fulfill that space in their heart, right? They started to look to someone else or something else to fulfill them instead of God. Jesus loves us, God loves us, he gave his only son, Christ died for us, Jesus created forgiveness for us. If we will accept that and be in that relationship with God, what's God want? He wants us to love him the way that he loves us. Then our souls are fulfilled and we're at peace and we're secure and we're happy and we have joy and all those things that we long for If I allow God to do that, he'll do it. If I don't want God to do that, 
then I will go and chase all kinds of other things in an attempt to fill that spot in our lives, right? And that's just kind of the human condition. It's kind of the way that we function together. Now here's the thing. The Bible says that that space in our soul is reserved for God and God alone. And if I do not allow God to fulfill that place in my life, then what I start to do spiritually is I start to worship idols. So the Bible would say anything that sits in the God spot in my life, anything that has more affection in my life, anything that has more authority in my life, anything that has higher priority in my life, then God and who he is becomes some version of a spiritual idol. J.D. Greer says it this way, it's a great quote. He says, an idol is not necessarily a bad thing, it's usually a good thing that we've made into a God that then becomes a bad thing to us. So when we hear about idol worship, a lot of times we're like, I'm not like praying to Buddha, I'm not bowing down to my Jeff bobblehead, like I, what are you talking about? I'm not, I'm not like worshiping an idol. And I love Greer's definition. Basically what he's saying is this, an idol is usually a good thing that becomes a God thing. And it's me looking for something that will fill me up, something that will make me feel successful, make me feel safe, make me feel secure, make me feel happy, make me feel at peace, make me even feel spiritual other than a deep and loving relationship with Christ. It's usually a good thing that becomes a God thing, but it displaces the priority and the investments of my life, right? Now, we all struggle with this. It's part of the human condition, right? So we all struggle with this. We're probably not gonna go home and like build an idol in our backyard. Probably not. If you are, call me. I, I think we should talk, right? But that's probably not what we're gonna struggle with. Probably what we're gonna do is allow things, career, family, uh, our looks, money, affirmation, praise, pride, ego. We're probably gonna allow good things to become God things and give our lives to good things and sometimes not even realize that they are, sur they are supplanting God's position in our hearts, right? Now, in the human condition, that all feels really, really normal, right? So if you said, I am way, way, way into my kids, most people would look at you and say, that's a good thing. Way too many people aren't into their kids enough. I am super into my marriage. We're like super married people. And I, most people would say, well, that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. You should do that. I'm into church. I am, I am mega church person. Like I'm just here all the time. I, even when we weren't having services during corona, I came and sat in a parking lot and just prayed, right? So like super, and you say, well, that's a good thing. But if a good thing becomes a God thing, then it becomes an idol in my life if that's what I'm chasing and that's where my heart is and that's where my fulfillment is, right? Now, God recognizes this. 
That's why God kind of goes out of his way and he says, I, I want to be sure that in our relationship with each other, you understand how I view myself and how I want you to respond to me, right? I, I want to lay this out. So God went so far to put this in the Ten Commandments. He says this in Exodus chapter 20. He spoke these words. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So right from the get-go, is God is setting up his relationship with us. He's looking at us and he's saying, guys, this is how I look at this. I am the Lord your God. I am the only God. Nobody is to sit in that place in your soul but me. I alone am worthy of it. So when you look at your place of security, you look at your place of peace, you look at your place of value, you look at your place of fulfillment, you look at your place, that should always be me. I am the Lord your God. You should have no gods before me. If you are my children, there's nothing and no one that you love more. Nothing and no one that garners greater affection. Nothing and no one that garners greater authority in your life. Nothing comes before me. You shall not make for yourself an image. So you don't create, you don't define this. Right? You, don't, you don't look and say, I know that I'm not supposed to have anything before God, but my career is really important. I know I shouldn't have anything before God, but I super love my kids. I know I shouldn't have anything before God, but... Man, my, my, you know, my personal fulfillment is really important to me. My truth is really important to me, right? So nothing before you, you don't make that for anybody. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. This is not a statement of insecurity. This is a statement of relationship, okay? So if I said to you, I'm a jealous husband, I'm not saying, yeah, if I don't know where Heidi is, I'm gonna track her down and like burn her car. Like, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, no, I'm jealous of my place as her husband. Like it's mine. Nobody else gets to be in that place. Nobody else gets to think of Heidi that way. That's my position in her life. That's what God's saying, I'm a jealous God. That place in you is my place. That relationship with you is my relationship. I'm, I'm protective of that, I'm jealous of that, and I will not let that go, right? Now what's fascinating is that is like a baseline of our relationship with God then carries through the Bible. And it carries all the way into our relationship with Jesus. So Jesus gives his life for that. And when Jesus looks at us and says, do you want me to take the consequences for your sin on the cross? And we say yes, and we ask the forgiveness of our sin. Jesus then would look and say, well, I'm a jealous God, right? I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. 
I'm the object of your affection, your worship, I'm the authority, and I'm that place in your life. I am your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? And then it plays out in our Christian life. The Apostle James says it this way. He says, when you ask, you don't receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, whoever chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So James says, guys, listen, when you're praying, you pray for things with wrong motives so you can get, you can spend on your pleasures. That's an adulterous act, right? So it would be like a spouse looking at their husband and wife and saying, hey, if you love me, would you facilitate an affair for me? That's what James is saying. So he's saying, guys, the reason that you don't get what you want is because you're asking for things that will displace God in your life. See? God, you gotta help me make varsity. Whatever your varsity is, I gotta make varsity. Well, why? Because it's my dream. Well, why is it your dream? Because, I, I mean, I, I, feel, I feel like I made it and all my hard work paid off and, and I'll finally achieve what I wanna achieve. It's been my dream, you gotta help me make varsity. But if I help you make varsity, Varsity is your priority. Varsity is your passion. Varsity is your inspiration. It will drive you away from me. Why would I help you make varsity? God, you gotta make me, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get the house. We gotta get the house. You gotta do a miracle, we gotta get the house. Well, why, why would I give you the house? Because it's my dream house, God. It's an amazing house. I can't believe I gotta have the house. Yeah, but you don't, like, you don't even give now. Like, why would I give you something that was another $1,000 a month house payment? I mean, why would I do that? You'll be more away from my heart. Your treasure and your heart will be more separated from me than ever. Why would I do that? That doesn't make any sense. God, you have to. You gotta give me this relationship. You gotta give me this, re- gotta, I have this guy. I'm in love with this guy. You gotta get this relationship. But he does, he's pulling you away from me now. He's just gonna take you all the way. Why would I bless that? That idol, you're asking me to amplify the idol. Why would I amplify the idol, right? By the way, right here, is one of the greatest arguments against the prosperity gospel. Jesus make me rich, Jesus make me prosperous, Jesus make, why would I do that? All those things just become greater temptations in your life, why would, why would that be a prayer that I'd want you to pray? It doesn't make any sense to me. And then James comes in, he says, guys, I want you to see something. Friendship with the world means enmity. Enmity means a, a, a state of conflict or a state of war. So he's looking at believers and he's saying, guys, don't you understand that the closer and the more passionate you pursue these idols of yours, the more conflict you create in your relationship with me. 
is that what you want? Because you're, you want your soul satisfied. I love you, I created a way, but you're not pursuing me. See, you're, when you're nervous or insecure, you pursue these earthly things and not me, and we get further apart. When you're discomforted, when you're stressed out, you don't pursue me, you don't turn to me. We're not double-dialing on our prayer life and time in God's word and you really walking with me. You're watching the movie, having the beer, eating the pizza kind of thing. Like, th this creates conflict with you and I. And the more that you lean into these other things to satisfy your soul, the further you're pushing me out, right? And a lot of the reason why, why you do that is because it makes sense to you that, that before Christ, when you felt insecure, what you knew to do was go hit a home run but now you're in me, but you won't let me fill that void for you. You're just at the plate trying to hit a home run. Before Christ, when you felt discomforted or scared, you would feed an addiction. Now after Christ, you just changed addictions. You just have more of a socially acceptable Christian addiction. Before Christ, uh, when, when, when you wanted to feel successful and you wanted to feel like the big man on campus, you, you would pump up your ego. Now you're just doing that in a different way and it's the same process except you're asking me to bless it. And then when I don't bless it, you hold me responsible for the no in your life. But I'm saying no because you'll get, you're asking about the wrong motives, right? And when you start to think Start, I want you to start thinking this through. We're gonna to have to work this one a little bit, right? When you start thinking through, like, why do I get mad at God? What did he do? Well, he didn't answer what I wanted him to do. Well, what did you ask him to do? Well, he didn't bail me out of this. Well, what were you asking him to bail you out of? Well, he didn't make this happen in my life. Well, what were you asking him to make happen? And was that gonna draw you closer to him or pull you further from him? And what happens in the Christian life a lot is this, and this is the gospel playing out. A lot of times what happens in the Christian life is the opposite of what we want to happen is what's best for us to happen in a God way. That's why James would say things like this, count up pure joy whenever you face trials of many kind because it tests your faith and that matures you and completes you. So when God doesn't take the pain away and he allows it to double down, if freedom from that pain is what I really, really want, then I'll chase whatever idol will get me there. If the heart and mind of God is what I really, really want, I'll allow him to lead me through a process that I don't really wanna go through. And you'll go, as you go through the Christian life, like that will happen again and again and again and again. Right? And if I don't want Christ, 
because I'm really longing for this idol. And I, I didn't say you forsook Christ because idols are usually good things that became God things. But if I don't want Christ because I want this idol, then most of what God does in our life won't make sense and we'll actually resent it. Because most of the good, a lot of the good God gives us in our life comes through pain. A, a, lot, of the, a lot of the faith God gives us in our life comes through dependency. Uh, a lot of the refining God does in our life comes through trials. And if I don't want that, I'm gonna resent what he's doing and I'm gonna miss his heart and his mind in the middle of the process. This is where Paul says in Philippians, he says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Paul is looking and saying, guys, Man, I, whatever, whatever I used to think I wanted, whatever I used to think the, the answer to my problem was gonna be, whatever I used to pray and ask God for all the time, I don't want any of that anymore. What I want is the depth of my relationship with Christ. I want the gospel, we would say, to play out in my life in deep and powerful and transformative ways. These things are garbage, they're temporal, the Bible would say. They're, they're, they're in and out. These things are the eternal things, right? And those things, these things compared to knowing Christ, nothing is greater than knowing and an understanding Christ. So for the Christ follower, this shifts dramatically. Paul goes on, he says this, I wanna know Christ. I wanna know the power of the resurrection. I wanna know the transformative work of God in my life. I want that more than whatever I used to consider a gain. Right? Now for the Christ follower, this is massive. This is massive. Because what, what's happening and what's being taught, I fear, in a lot of churches today, and a lot of the way that we think, even here at Grace Church, if we're honest, is we don't think in terms of wanting to know Christ. We think in terms of Christ performing for us. Jesus, I want you to do this. 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 And that, if you do these things for me, that will satisfy my soul. And Jesus would look at us lovingly and he would say, if you're praying that prayer about anything besides me, it's always gonna come up empty. Jesus, if you did this, I would be happy. No, you won't. Jesus, if I could marry her, I'd be happy. No, you really, you really won't. <laughs> Jesus, if you would 
if you would straighten the country out this way, then I'd be satisfied. No, no, you won't. Jesus, if you would, no, you won't. If it's anything other than me, and it can be a good thing, it can be a good thing. You know, when I look at um, marriage issues, I do a little bit of marriage counseling. I'm not a good marriage counselor. My counseling is usually some version of you should obey the Bible and stop complaining. So you don't wanna, I'm terrible. I'm a horrible counselor. But when I look at marriage issues, you know what I find? I find that with a Christian couple, at the core of most marriage issues are two people, ready? Asking the other one to be God. She's not making me happy. She's not making me fulfilled. She's not making me secure. She's not making me, well I bet she's not. Because she's an idol and she can't, she's not God, therefore she cannot do what only God can do. He doesn't make me feel safe, he doesn't make me feel da, da, da. I bet he doesn't. I bet he doesn't, because he's not God. So he cannot do what only God can do. And you looking at your spouse and asking them to be God is impossible. When I talk to parents and kids, most of the time at the very core, very core, I have kids that want their parents to be God. Right, let me tell you about my dad's issue, my daddy issues. You got daddy, we all got daddy issues. I joke all the time, we don't save for our kids' college, we save for their counseling. It's gonna be way more helpful, right? My kids have terrible parents, right? And they're going to have daddy issues, why? Because my children's father is a sinner, they are being raised by a sinner who's going to sin against them no matter how hard I try. And if my kids look at their dad and ask me to be God, if parents look at kids, they demand that their kids perform you have to make me look good. I have to find my fulfillment in being a mother. I have to be, when parents look at their kids and they ask them to be God, they cannot do that. They are not God. They cannot fulfill you. See? And we'll do that with a job and we'll do that with a sport and we'll do that with a dollar bill. And Jesus would look and say, guys, it, it will never work. No, you have to bless it. Why would I bless that? The more, if I blessed it, you would just worship it more. And you're asking things and people to do for you what only I can do for you. And in the process of chasing that, you're moving away from me. Which is gonna break you down all the more. But I do it, you do it. So this is why we pray. 
help me to allow. The issue is not whether God can or will. Done. He's ready to go. The issue is whether I'm moving toward him or away from him, whether I'm looking for him or I'm looking for something else. So help me to allow your presence and your approval to be all I need for the fulfillment of my soul. God, help me to lean into you. Help me to lean not to my own understanding. And when we allow God's presence and God's approval to fulfill our souls, what happens, guys, is the stress and the pressure comes off of our relationships. Because suddenly I'm not asking my wife to fulfill my soul. That's freeing. Suddenly I'm not asking my job to fulfill my soul. Suddenly I'm not asking my athletic career to fulfill my soul. Suddenly I'm not asking my youth to fulfill my soul. I'm allowing God to do that. And when I allow God to do that, suddenly God has the ability now to steer my life. And I'm content and I'm safe and I'm joyful and I'm happy regardless of the circumstances that he's taking me through because I'm no longer looking for these things that are forever changing and forever fleeting to do something that only God can do and wants to do and is able to do. So God, allow, help me to allow you to be who you are and to do what you've promised to do. I told you when we started this series that I wanted to take you through it because God had used this book in my life. um, You know, COVID-19, just like all of you, got slapped upside the head, I did too. And I was working alone a lot during that time and stressed out, right? So all of our mechanisms got disrupted here. You guys are scattered all over the place. I didn't know what was going on. Staff was scattered all over the place. And so I told you when we started this, like that, that was peaking out for me. You know, I was working, I don't even know how many hours, countless, right? And, and I have employees in four different states. And so because of other organizations that I run, so just stressed out to the max, finally got away and was able to spend some time with the Lord. And this is what, when I got away and was able to be with the Lord and I was able to marinate in the gospel and I started praying this prayer, God kind of revealed something to me. He revealed to me that during that six months when I was getting slammed, just like many of you were, but when I was getting slammed, he revealed to me that I had allowed a good thing to become a God thing. And you know what my idol was? It's really fascinating. You know what it was? It was you. It was you. And all all those hours, I can't tell you how many times I sat in my office and I thought thoughts like this. I'm just being honest, so you can hate me later. I don't care, really. But I'm thinking thoughts like this. This is what's going through my mind. My life's work is blowing up. Uh, My dreams, you know, if we can't pull off all in, all out, what happens to my credibility? 
if that's all derailed? Uh, what will my legacy be? My relationships, I was, I was thinking of you guys as my possessions. My relation, 27 years of relationships and I can't even figure out where people are right now. And that's just going through my mind. And the stress and the pressure because there's a lot of fulfillment and there's a lot of ego and there's a lot of, I can measure the wins of my life. I'm that guy, I got a metric for everything, right? And now those are all blown up. And, and I don't know, am I being successful? Am I being, all that kind of stuff's running through my mind. When I finally got time with the Lord, and I was reading this part of, the way that JD wrote it in the book, but this part of the prayer, I was praying it through on a little vacation. I became very convicted that a good thing had become a God thing, right? And I remember the Lord, he didn't speak to me. I just, in my heart, I'm like, it was like he was saying, Jeff, who, this remind me, Jeff, real quick, whose church is it? Is it yours, But Who built it? Did you build it? I thought I was involved. Did you build it? Who's, whose relationships are those? Are you their shepherd or are you their owner? Who's in control? Who's God? Am I God? And I, I kind of repented of that. Invited Jesus back in the spot that he should be in. And when I did that, the weight of the world came off my shoulders. My life is not even mine. And the freedom that came with the presence of God and the freedom that came with the approval of Christ. It's, it's the most amazing thing. And, and it's the gospel. It's, it's what the gospel feels like or acts like maybe. And what's happened for most of us What's happened for most of us these last eight or nine months, and even right now, for some of us during the election, depends on which team you're on. Ready? Our temptations have been frustrated. Our God has not. But us getting hold of our temptations has become very frustrating. And it's an opportunity to allow God to get a hold of me in a new and a different and a powerful way, to allow the gospel to be transformative. Maybe God isn't letting you down. Maybe God's freeing you up. 
And maybe he's looking at his children and saying, wait a minute, now whose life is this? Whose business is this? Whose career is this? Whose kids are these? I want you to have the freedom that I experienced. I want you to have the release of the pressure that I received. And I want you to enjoy and engage the gospel the way that Jesus helped me to that night. So we pray, right? Help me to allow, to allow your presence and approval to be all I need for the fulfillment of my soul. All right, the band's gonna come out. We're gonna give some space, and I want you to pray this prayer. Just pray honestly to God. You don't have to come up with magic words to talk to God. Just share your heart with him. That's all he cares about. But maybe confess an idol or two if one comes to mind. But give an invitation and allow God to bring that freedom and hope and help in the gospel. All right? All right, Jesus, in these still moments, would you interact with us in a deep way? And as we pray this prayer in, in, in these moments, God, Holy Spirit, would you meet us? Would you show us? Would you start to change us as we just honestly and openly share our heart with you?